In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Indeed, the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. Yes, the word of God is living and effective today in my life and in yours. And that's the very reason why I'm offering this weekly podcast where I reflect upon the liturgical scripture readings for the Sunday Mass. So now please join me on Faith Moments with Dina Marie as we break open the Word of God together, inviting His Word to change our lives forever. Welcome to Faith Moments with Dina Marie, a weekly podcast to ponder and proclaim the weekly mass readings. Today, it is the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. It's November 7th, and we have entered fully into the month of November. We also have a lot of things to recognize this week. It is the National Vocations Awareness Week, which begins today. Also, of course, Veterans Day falls on the 11th of November for our country and a very important time for us to remember those men and women who who have served our country, and many who maybe still suffer mentally, emotionally, financially, uh, in many different ways due to their service, and that we give thanks for their service and support them in every way that we can. And the month of November dedicated to souls and to saints and to pray for those who are in purgatory, the poor souls in purgatory, to pray for our loved ones who have gone before us to pray for their eternal life. So there's a lot of things to recognize today. Also, for those of you who who are in the Archdiocese of Portland. Happy birthday to Archbishop um, Alexander Sample, whose birthday is on the 7th of November. So with that, I want to begin with this prayer to read and to reflect upon before reading sacred scripture. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, inspire us to read your sacred scriptures and to meditate upon them day and night. We beg you, give us real understanding of what we need, that we in turn may put its precepts into practice. Yet we know that understanding and good intentions are worthless unless rooted in your graceful love. So we ask that the words of scripture may also be not just signs on a page, but channels of grace into our hearts. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are two widows that we encounter in these readings today, one from the Old Testament and one from the gospel today. And I really, as I was pondering this morning, was thinking how beautiful it is that the church in her liturgy and in the lectionary gives us for our teaching component, you know, the, 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 the way in which we're going to learn the instrument of teaching comes from one of the most vulnerable persons in our society, particularly in the Old Testament and in the time of Jesus was the widow who had nothing, who was nothing, who really, whose voice counted for nothing in the culture. And yet this widow, different widows in both of these instances are going to be our vehicle to show us how Jesus calls us to discipleship. So Let's begin with our first reading, which is from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 10 through 16. 
In those days, Elijah the prophet went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the entrance of the city, a widow was gathering sticks there. He called out to her, please bring me a small cup full of water to drink. She left to get it, and he called out after her, please bring along a bit of bread. She answered, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. There is only a handful of flour in my jar and a little oil in my jug. Just now, I was collecting a couple of sticks to go in and prepare something for myself and my son. When we have eaten it, we shall die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you propose. But first, make me a little cake and bring it to me. Then you can prepare something for yourself and your son. For the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry until the day when the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She left and did as Elijah had said. She was able to eat for a year and he and her son as well. The jar of flour did not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry, as the Lord had foretold through Elijah. The word of the Lord. Our responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, my soul. The Lord keeps faith forever, secures justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets captives free. Praise the Lord, my soul. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the just. The Lord protects strangers. Praise the Lord, my soul. The fatherless and the widow he sustains, but the way of the wicked he thwarts. The Lord shall reign forever your God, O Zion, through all generations. Alleluia. Praise the Lord, my soul. Our second reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. Christ did not enter into a sanctuary made by hands, a copy of the true one, but heaven itself, that he might now appear before God on our behalf. Not that he might offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters each year into the sanctuary with blood that is not his own. If that were so, he would have had to suffer repeatedly from the foundation of the world. But now, once for all, he has appeared at the end of the ages to take away sin by his sacrifice. Just as it is appointed that human beings die once, and after this, the judgment, so also Christ, offered once to take away the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to take away sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly await him. The word of the Lord. Our gospel reading comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 38 through 44. In the course of his teaching, Jesus said to the crowds, Beware of the scribes who like to go around in long robes and accept greetings in the marketplaces, 
seats of honor in synagogues, and places of honor at banquets. They devour the houses of widows and, as a pretext, recite lengthy prayers. They will receive a very severe condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow also came and put in two small coins worth a few cents. Calling his disciples to himself, he said to them, Amen, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury, for they have all contributed from their surplus wealth. But she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, like I mentioned in the opening, the widow becomes a very key feature for us to learn some lessons from Jesus and some lessons from the prophets as well. In one of the reflections I heard this weekend, uh, the priest was saying, when we need, we should give. If you need it, give it out. And it's in this emptying of ourselves where we find ourselves in the position or the disposition of being open to fully receive what God wants to give us. And so if we're holding on to things, if we have this attachment to things in this particular case, we're hearing about money, coins, uh, the little bits of what makes our sustenance in the oil and the flour. If we hold on to things, the material we don't have room or don't make room or don't prepare ourselves in our hearts to be fully trusting in what God can and will give us. So let's go back to the first reading with Elijah. What I thought was interesting is I went back into the Bible and I love to do this is, okay, let's read on in chapter 17. I mean, the story of Elijah is so vivid and there's so much going on, but we, we hear that Elijah is sent by the Lord to go to this place of Zarephath. And we know that the people there are pretty much followers of Baal and of the pagans and, and they're pagans. They have uh, Baal as one of their gods. And so they're not lovers of the Lord, but the Lord is sending him to this place and he promises that he will take care of them. Now, if you read a little bit before chapter 17, then God has sent him out and has provided him sustenance from the ravens who bring him food and a flesh to eat. And then, and then once everything goes dry and the famine is truly uh, a horrible famine, he's going to send him off to Zarephath. But it's really interesting to see how the Lord is already providing Elijah, the prophet, with what he needs at that moment, not any more, not any less. And then he says that out of a widow, he will pr get provided what he needs. And so he encounters this widow, right, walking into the town. And, you know, it's hard to imagine most of us, my husband and I were talking, we were coming home from mass, just, you know, we in the United States, if you're listening to this from the United States, we have more than we need. Uh, in many different ways, just the stuff that we've accumulated and how much we have. So to try to put ourselves in the position of this widow, 
She needs to take care of her son. We don't really get a sense of how old the son is, um, but we know that widows, particularly in this day and in the day of Jesus, they didn't have any type of rights. And of course, she wouldn't own anything. So to, to, to be able to provide a meal, a roof over her head, uh, any type of protection would be quite difficult. And how, how just low you would probably feel, how just you wouldn't feel very self-respected. You may not feel very much loved or cared for because most people disregarded the orphan and the widow. And here this man, man of the Lord calls out to the widow, you know, and asks her for something, you know, and I, if you can try to imagine being this woman who is in a position, she knows that there's nothing else in her home to eat. And as long as I, or once I take these two pieces of sticks that I'm going to get and cook just this final meal, it's going to be my final meal. And I don't know where the, the land has a famine. There's no promise of any water or any type of, of resources. And so she knows she's kind of at her wits end. She is at her wits end. She's despairing, so to speak. And here's somebody asking her for one, a, a cup of water, and they run out of water. And then, and then he says, and she'll actually, she's willing to go get the cup of water. She says that uh, she went to go get the water, but then he says, oh, wait, can you bring a little bit more, bring a cake? It, it's almost like a little bit of a test to see how far will she go to do what seems very unreasonable. I, I, he's asking me now to bring a cake and I don't have anything. And if I had something, if I make it, that's it. And that was just going to provide for my son and I, and she admits I have nothing baked. This is, uh, there's only a handful of flour in my jar and a little bit of oil. And once I eat that, that's it. And he says, this is what he says. Do not be afraid. Now think about it. When do we hear in the Gospels, I mean, we hear it a lot, right? Do not be afraid. But I think particularly of the angels who at the time of the Annunciation, at the time of before the Nativity, they continue to tell Joseph and Mary, do not be afraid. You know, and the Lord in, in the raging waters and the, and the storms of the sea, he tells the apostles, do not be afraid. And, and that those words commanded some sort of attention to the widow. And she took him for face value. No, I, I won't be afraid. And so he says, go and do as you propose. And so she did. She went and got the cakes and she made them. And all of a the sudden, then that, there came the bounty. She was willing to let go of everything she had because she was holding on to this last bit. You can almost feel it in her words. You know, I was just collecting a couple of sticks and preparing something for myself and my son. And when we have eaten it, we will die. You know, can you just feel her just, I don't know what else to do. This is the last thing I, 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 can, I can imagine doing. And here comes this man out of nowhere who is asking her to just give a little bit more. Can you just give everything that you have? Everything that you feel will provide you sustenance and life. Can you just let that go? And she does. 
And for, for whatever reason, the grace of God, she believes in the God of Elijah, the prophet. She's living in a pagan community who hails to Baal. And we don't know her religious background, but probably a pagan as well. But she sent something in the Lord, the God of who Elijah represented and believed in. And so, of course, they were provided for exactly what they needed for that year. Now, what's interesting, again, I mentioned that I read a little bit before and the ravens provided for Elijah right before this story happens. And then what happens next after the story, if you read on, you might remember that afterwards and the famine has ended and the, and the rains come, then the sun gets deathly sick and he is breathing his last breath. He can't breathe well. And the, the woman says, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, did you just come to take my son away from me? And now he's going to die. Can you imagine? And so, of course, Elijah, he takes the son upstairs and he prays to God and asks for God to revive the son. And of course, God revives the son and the son comes back to life and he brings down the son. But, but that's like the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, that the God will continue to provide what we need when we need it in different ways. We don't know the form of those blessings, of those gifts, but we are called to be open, to let go of, to, to continue to be open to his gifts and his giving. In the Psalm, Psalm 146, there's so much that shows us, and the Psalms do this quite well. You know, the Lord keeps faith forever. He secures justice for the oppressed. He sets captives free. He gives food to the hungry. He gives sight to the blind. He raises up those who are bowed down. He loves the just. He protects the stranger, the fatherless and the widow. He sustains. And so there's so many ways in which the Lord will provide for the marginalized, for the most vulnerable, for those most in need. And those that are most in need may be the most open to receiving those gifts. And so the question for us, for me, am I open and willing to receive fully the gifts of the Lord? What am I willing to let go of? in order to receive his blessings. And so let's go to the gospel again. And what I think is interesting is Mark makes a point. Of course, what have we been listening to the last few weeks? Again, remember that Jesus has entered Jerusalem. We didn't read the scripture last week, but within that context would have been the time of Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, and the people recognize the Messiah coming into Jerusalem. And there's this progression that Jesus knows his passion is really quick to come. And he continues to try to get it into the minds and the hearts of his disciples, his closest followers of what it really is going to mean 
to be a disciple. Now he's teaching to the Pharisees and to the scribes and to the crowds, and he's giving them different lessons. So, so we're hearing different teachings, different parables that are now being given in the temple. And the first part of this particular gospel shows Jesus teaching to the crowds. And so he's just giving them again, another reminder to be weary of those scribes who go around and act this way. And to just point out some of the hypocrisy that continues to be present in the church hierarchy. But then it says that he sat down opposite the treasury and observed how the crowd put money into the treasury, calling his disciples to himself. So he's positioning himself in a particular part of the, the temple, but then he's only teaching and showing what he observes to his followers, to his disciples. It's like, here's the special lesson. And, you know, you think about a coach just getting to the, to the A team, you know, okay, this is the plan. This is what we need to execute. This is how we're going to do it. And just giving them that one-on-one look like it's important that we do it this way. And he's calling his disciples to himself and he's pointing out, look how people are giving. What's their disposition in giving? How are they approaching the offertory? You know, it's very interesting, you know, and unfortunately with the days of COVID, it's really, it, I think it's very uncomfortable to have offerings taken in the church. Now, I remember, I remember passing the basket and sometimes they were kind of wicker baskets or sometimes they were more made out of a brass or a metal that would be passing back and forth of the pews and, that could even be kind of uncomfortable. Like, oh, I forgot to bring my offering. Oh, how much do I have? Is it going to be as much as the person next to me or the person in front of me? Uh, But I always thought as a kid, it was really exciting because I had collected, you know, a little bit of offering and I put it in the little envelope and I wanted to put the offering in the envelope. But what's the disposition? Are we comparing ourselves to the others in the community? Are we, um, thinking less of ourselves or more of ourselves because I'm putting in more or you're putting in less, you know, what's our countenance as we look at just the offering. And today, you know, I don't even know how your church does um, taking a collection, but we've become very awkward and judgmental. I think in many ways of just how we give to the church and it's important to give the church. I'm not going to go into stewardship, but my goodness, our churches need our support more than ever. But Jesus is noticing that this widow, and and how does he know this? Of course, he's God, so he knows, but he, he sees that she doesn't just give, she could do three different things. All she has are two coins. She could give one coin, and and go i've i've got to hold on to this coin because it 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 means you know food for tomorrow just like the widow in zarephath she had only this little bit of oil and flour well i've got to hold on to it just for my meal and my son and now a stranger is asking for me to prepare a meal that would take away from my mouth so the widow could have just put one coin in nobody's going to know she would know and God would know. She could put in no coins and, and just realize, you know, I'm poor. 
this is barely going to sustain me for the next couple of days, whatever that might be. Or she could give it all. She could get everything that she has to her God. And it says, for they have all contributed from their surplus wealth, but she from her poverty, from everything that she is, has contributed all she had her whole livelihood. She knows in the, the situation that she's at, this is everything. And I love the Lord and I'm here to pray. I'm in the temple. She's in the temple. She's next to Jesus. And she is willing to give it all. And in this example that Jesus is pointing out to his disciples, he's not pointing it out to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's not telling the other people because he wants them to see what is the ultimate sacrifice that's necessary. It's to give all. And what is the sacrifice that needs to be? Well, the ultimate sacrifice is Jesus giving his whole life for us on the cross once for all. And see, he's trying to prepare them, I believe, to, to witness the ultimate sacrifice that in his sacrifice, in his passion, he has given all for what we need. That's why I think it's so beautiful when we pray our rosary at the end of our rosary is the crucifix. And I love just holding on to that crucifix as I pray the rosary. And I just hold on to that body of Jesus and know it's your body, Lord. It's your body, your body, your blood, your soul and divinity that gives me life. Hail Mary, full of grace, our father who art in heaven, glory be to the father, son, and Holy spirit. You know, that we, we meditate on the cross, the corpus, the body of Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And so, as I mentioned, it's national vocations awareness week, where I really see this comes into play, this idea of sacrifice, this idea of giving our all like the widows did in these two examples is in our vocation. Many of you are in a, the vocation have chosen the vocation to the married life. That's where probably the largest percentage of people are married. And so in that marriage, in that vocation, we let go and abandon all our lives before us. You know, we're not living a life as a single person anymore. We are now living in, in holy matrimony with our spouse and in love of God. So everything is about God and our spouse in that relationship of holy matrimony, that vocation. We have vocation to the priesthood, religious life, consecrated life, the diaconate, all of those vocations, these ways in which we say yes to the Lord means I have to abandon certain things. That's why there are vows. There's vows that we make promises in our marriage. And of course, there's religious vows. Consecrated virgins make vows. Our priests make vows. Our religious brothers and sisters make vows. Vows of poverty, of chastity, of humility, of obedience. These are different vows that we take to say, I'm abandoning my life to put on Christ. 
And, and maybe one of the ways we can look, and this is how I'm looking at these stories of the widows is to, to get encouragement from them that these widows were willing to give all that they had their entire livelihood for God, you know, in the treasury, it was to give to the Lord in the temple and the widow at Seraphath, this man of God, this prophet asked her to give all that she had and much was received. We are called to give and die to self. You know, if we have a seed and we just put it in our pocket, it does nothing. But if we break the seed open and we put it into the ground and it gets water and it gets sun and it gets some nutrients from the soil, then all of a sudden it sprouts up new life. See, we are that seed. And if we just hold on to everything and we want it just the way we want it, well, we're going to die. But if we break the seed and we go deep into the ground and we die to self and we let the cross of Jesus Christ take over our lives, then we can be filled. Our oil and our flour will never run dry, will never go away. We will have what we need when we need it, when we trust in the Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And I want to close with this very short prayer. Pray for the souls in purgatory. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. God's peace be with you. You have been listening to Faith Moments with Dina Marie, reflections upon the liturgical scripture readings for the Sunday Mass. New podcast episodes are released weekly through the generous support of Mater Dei Radio. To learn more about Faith Moments with Dina Marie, visit me online at dinamarie.org. That's dinamarie.org. May you have a blessed week.